It's Thursday. Today is Thursday. I've brought you the greatest gift of all. Oh, yeah? Well, in that case... Entertain me! It's showtime. Make use of the help that God puts around you. We are not a glum lot. A promise is a promise. It's very simple. Just don't drink and go to meetings. Give time, time. Easy does it. I do it. Want to have self-esteem? Just do esteemable things. One day at a time. We carry the message, not the alcoholic. Don't quit before the miracle happens. With an effective character, three guys sitting around talking about our personal experience in recovery. Hey, I'm Mike. I'm Dennis. James here. The opinions are our own. We don't represent any particular organization, institution, or fellowship. Today, Gerald will be sharing his experience, strength, and hope with us in this episode 25 of the Defective Characters Podcast. Let's go. Woohoo! All right. Hey, how's it going, guys? Pretty good. Uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful, beautiful day in Florida. Dennis is not depressed anymore. That's pretty good. What happened? Oh, I, um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you, know, you don't really have to share that. <laughs> we, we had that worked out in advance. Oh, by the way, I like that the Christmas tree went down, but what the heck is that? that that's our, we wanted to bring the Christmas joy throughout the whole year, so we left that one up. So that's like a yeah. Christmas tree from Hobby Lobby? Yeah. Well, it's. I think it's a ficus. It's a fake ficus with balls. Oh. And lights, rainbow yeah. lights. That's nice. Are we not going to talk about Herman, our new studio cat? Oh, we can. Yeah, is it, now the big question that Bob Barker had, is it spayed or neutered? It's hairless. It's, it, it, it is fixed, but for health reasons. So I don't want to go into it, but it was necessary. He's cute though. It's not a. By the way, it's not a real cat. We're not, definitely not feeding this plastic cat. A way to destroy here. the radio. Yeah, magic. it's okay. <laughs> it's 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 a podcast, and uh, Mike just wants to let everyone people, know I do not approve of cats. Well, the three of us definitely can't take care of a pet. Like we we've already talked about the. There's a reason it's defective characters, and we're still trying to actually get better at it. It's not defective cat characters. I I was know? told before I could ever have a kid, I gotta ha- be able to take care of a dog. Before I could take care of a dog, I gotta take care of a fish, and before that, a plant. So I started with the plants, and they kept dying. So now I have a cactus, but I think it's <laughs> being overwatered. I'm not sure what's happening, but. I'm doing my best. None of us know what's happening outside of the fact that you're the guy for the job to introduce our speaker today. It's going to be telling his story. Awesome. Gerald, he's a great guy. I met Gerald when I first came into the rooms like two and a half years ago. And, you know, eventually he moved away and, you know, is starting a family and everything else. And... So I don't get to see him as much, but whenever he does show up, like this morning he showed up, it's always a joy to see him, you know, it's a, and it doesn't matter if I don't see him for like months or, or weeks or days, it's like, you know, we're friends and it's, it's, we just pick up, we catch on up on life and it's always a, a joy. And I've heard his story, you know, a few times since I've met him and stuff. So I, I think this is going to be a real treat. So here's Gerald. All right. Thank you, Dennis. Um, my name is Gerald. I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date is 2-15-14. My home group is the Recovery of Celebration Group. Um, I have a sponsor who has a sponsor who had a sponsor. Um, I'm 
sober today by the grace of God. Um, and I'm just I'm I'm happy to be here. It's a pleasure to be here. I want to thank you guys for inviting me here today. Um, anytime I can do any service or anything for for program in general, I mean it's I mean it's a blessing. I I would not be here today if it were not for you know program. It saved my life literally. So. Um, they say when you talk about things, you should talk about what it was like, you know, before you got in, what it was like when you got to the rooms and what your life is like now. So little background about me. Um, obviously, I do well with hiding my accent. Born and raised in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, I'm the only child of my mom. Um, I have I have two brothers and a sister on my dad's side. Um, and. You know, the environment I grew up in, my, um, my mother was an, actually an alcoholic. Um, so I grew up in an alcoholic household. Um, and at a very early age, you know, I, I was exposed to a lot, um, a lot of things in life. Um, so I kind of learned very early to kind of live a double life because I'd saw my mom do it. And, you know, there was a lot of things I was exposed to. So, um, you know, I suffered um, from being an alcoholic like long before I ever picked up. You know, my first case of actually with alcoholism, and I, I'll explain it um, as it was explained to me. But as I, as my story goes along, so it's a little, it'll be a little unorthodox, but I I will tie it all together again in the end. So my first case of it is, um, you know, you learn it's a disease of perception. When I was four years old, I used to go to preschool, and when I would go to preschool, one of the things that I would do is when my mom dropped me off, I'd sit in the corner and I'd just wait. And, you know, in my world at the time, I always felt like I was different from other people, but not in a good way. I don't know, like I was somehow defective. It felt like it was me and then it was the rest of the world. And I just wasn't a part of that world. And so when I would go to school, I would just sit in that corner and I'd just wait for my mom to come get me. I wouldn't say anything. I didn't eat anything. I, didn't, I wouldn't do anything. I just sit and wait for her to come get me. And I just, it was almost like I just, I just stop. And then, you know, she'd come get me at the end of the day when she got off from work. And then it was like, as soon as I walked out the door, I talked to her or whatever. But, you know, when I would go there, they used to say, oh man, this, he's got, he's got issues. He's got problems. And she's like, oh no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. And so, you know, that was like, that was life growing up. And then my mom also, I mean, um, I'm, um, I'm a, you know, I'm a black guy with freckles, so I went to an all-white school. So at school, when I, when I first got there, I was the black kid and um, one of the only black kids in my class. And nobody wanted to really play with me at the time. And then in my neighborhood, obviously, you know, you don't see black people with freckles. So I was the black kid with freckles. And they're like, black people don't have freckles. You're, you're definitely white. So I got in a lot of fights. I was a lot, a lot of fights. And I, was, I was, and I was angry. You know, I was an angry kid. Um, and like I said, again, that was, and so growing up, it was more, you know, more almost like kind of just felt like surviving. You were just, it was almost like I'd always, my mom had always taught me, you know, you can never be afraid of anything, but you can rage against it. You can be angry. So I used to use that sort of as my fuel to get through life. And, um, you know, I always felt there was something missing and I was a late bloomer. I took my first drink when I was 19, um, I was at the prom and, you know, a friend of mine had a, but had a Gatorade bottle and poured Bacardi, Bacardi in it and you know, my accent coming out. Um, and, you know, I, you know, people talk about love at first sight. They know what, um, you know, when they saw that, when I felt that, you know, when I felt that drink go back, 
you know, just love at first sight instantly. I mean, I felt my head, my heart, my gut, everything just came together. And it was like, this is what I had been missing. This was, this, this, this was it. And it was like, I could, you know, that line I talk about when I, you know, being that, going back to being that kid sitting in the corner, it was like, I could get up and I could go be a part of the world. And I was, and it, and it was great. It gave me, you know, it gave me, it gave me my wings. It gave me, you know, it was my everything. And it was like, this is what I've been missing. And, and I'm and in my head, I'm like, I'm going to do this every day. And I remember actually, I don't remember much about that, that, you know, that, that night, cause I ended up blacking out and a lot of crazy stuff ended up happening as a result of that. But I do remember two days later going and seeing my mom and, you know, when she saw me, I was drinking and she looked at me and just said, you should have never started. And, you know, I had seen everything that, you know, an alcoholic shouldn't do. You know, I'd watch my mom drink and I'd seen her do. And I said, oh, you know, I got this. I'll manage it better. And it was a part of me that said, I'll never be like her. And, you know, I, I didn't little did I know that, you know, I was deluding myself. And so I, I don't like to talk about like drunk logs, but let's just say, you know, I, I ended up, um, I ended up leaving home, uh, going to school a couple years later. Um, and then I end up moving down to, after I graduate, graduate top of my class, I go to be a police officer. Um, but I don't, you know, it doesn't work out. Um, I got to Florida. I was a little too honest when I got down to um, South Florida, and then my um, and then my drinking really kind of took off when I got to South Florida because it's kind of all there was to do. And you know, I ended up getting a job in construction and moving forward, and 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 everything. I'm somehow married. I at the time. And then, you know, I decided to move up to Orlando to start a family. And when I move up to Florida, Orlando, Florida, um, you know, the, 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 the thing that kind of changed my, changed my drinking and kind of solidified, kind of, kind of was my jumping off point, as they call it. Um, my mom had actually passed away three weeks before my son was going to be born. And so... After that, you know, I was, you know, I used to drink to, you know, like I said, to give me the wings, but it stopped having that effect. Um, and when my mom passed, it was no longer about, hey, I'm going to just have some fun and enjoy this. It just, it became, it just kind of became something else. And, you know, my, she's now my ex-wife, the, the joke was I went up to bury my mom and the person I was never came back. Um, I came back, I was angry, I was very, very, you know, I was just mad at the world. And I had said to myself at the time, I really can't, I didn't even, not that I trusted anybody before, because I always, I never had, I had friends, but more than anything, it was like I had trophies, I had positions in life. And I had said to myself, you know, I can't trust anybody. The only thing I'm going to be able to trust is this, this, you know, I'm holding this bottle, I'm like, this, this is what I'm going to be able to trust. And, and then that was it. And then after I was, you know, when I wasn't drinking, I was angry. When I was drinking, I was even angrier. And I had somehow, um, I don't know how I kept my job, but I kept my job. I'm, 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 I'm working at the most magical place on earth and I'm the most miserable guy there. Um, and it just got worse. And then I'm going to fast forward now. Um, and then in November, like November, November 1st, um, 2013, I alcohol stopped working. It stopped working. 
I couldn't get, I, I wrestled all the fun, all the joy out of it. I couldn't get to that place anymore. And I'm one of those people where when I can't, you know, the worst thing, I've, I've never feared death. I've never feared. The only fear I've really had was being stuck in my own skin. And, you know, if I had to be stuck in my own skin without an, a way of getting out, I, you know, I wouldn't know what I would be able, I wouldn't know what I would do. You know, and I thought that was worse than death. And so when I couldn't get to that point anymore, you know, when I was at that, it was almost that, that jumping off point. It was like, okay. You know, there's only one other, there's only one other solution for someone like me when you get to that point. And that was the final solution. And so long story short, I went home to try to say goodbye to my kids. My ex-wife locked me in a bathroom. Um, and then the next day she had, um, she had told me, Hey, you, you either need to get some help or I'm going to take away your daughter. Now I have a son too at this point now, but I have a son and a daughter, but somehow my son ended up on the other side of that line. Remember that I talked about my daughter ended up on the, on the, on the side with me and my son ended up on the other side with my wife at the time and the rest of the world. I, I couldn't tell you why, but it just, I decided it got my attention enough that um, I would um, that I would do something. So I went I went to my first AA meeting, November second, twenty thirteen. I I didn't know what to expect. I I was I didn't know what to expect. I figured I'd go and I'd learn the lingo of what it was to learn, and then you know I I you know they, I thought maybe there'd be some graduation or something like that, and. But I went there and I listened to this guy who talked about sleeping in a hurry. He told my story. I don't remember much from my first meeting except for the feelings part because I know I felt I felt lower than dirt. And he talked about he identified with how he um, how how I, how he felt. I picked up my first white chip. You know, I, I got a big I got a big book. I got a sponsor in name because I, I mean, I wasn't really ready to do the steps or any of that. So I'm, I, you know, I get, I go, I go to a couple meetings and I'm getting, um, I have a sponsor, but I'm doing what I want to do. I'm running it Gerald's way and I'm a very good, I'm a very good test taker. I can, you know, I can learn things, I can learn things fast, learn a couple phrases and everything. But I, I noticed, um, after a while, like, you know, I'm doing my first step and then I'm going out to relapse. I mean, and then I had, I had seven relapses in total. Um, but around my, Around my second one, you know, second and third one, I, I, thought, I decided, well, let me see if I can really put it down. Because at the time I didn't and I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to stop. And I just and I did my best to try to not drink. And within within a few days, I was, you know, I was I was, I was relapsing. And that's when I really got scared because I've always been a person like I was always raised that you put your mind to it. You can do anything. And I was putting my mind to this, but I couldn't stop. I mean, you know, they, it says in, in the book that, you know, alcohol had really become my master. And there were times where, you know, I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm getting a text from my ex-wife and my kids, daddy, come home and play. And you know, what dad wouldn't want to go play with their kids. And the bar's calling and I'm crying and I'm going to the bar and I'm, you know, and I know that I'm not going to see my kids for a few days because I'm going to black out and. And so at that point, I really got scared and I didn't, you know, I didn't know if there was any other way to live. And I had, you know, like I said, I'd watched my mom do the same thing. And I thought this was how, you know, this is how you lived. But, you know, the fate isn't without irony. You know, after about my fourth relapse, 
my sponsor who was sponsoring me relapses and um he told me hey i'm not going to sponsor you anymore i'm gonna you, you know we're gonna you're gonna get you another sponsor and then you know he introduced me to my now sponsor who um who i you know i wouldn't have picked him you know he's a he's a 60 year old british guy you know, I, I looked at him and the first thing I looked at him and said is, you ain't going to be able to help me. I was like, I'm a young, good looking black guy. There's no way you're going to be able to help me. There's no way you know what I've gone through in my life. And he was very, you know, he was very, I guess they would call him one of those thumpers. He was one of those people that, you know, he thumped the program. And he kind of told me, the first thing he told me was, hey, I don't care how you feel. He's like, the only thing I care about, about with you is what you do. And I, I, I mean, I got, I got upset. I got offended. I'm like, you don't care how I feel. And he, he kind of told me, he's like, you know, you're going to call me every day at one o'clock. And the way he talked, he kind of had like an authority to him, even though, you know, not like, hey, I'm going to beat you up. But he had authority with the way he talked. And I remember I called him and then he didn't answer. And I got upset. And, you and, and. You know, when I seen him, he just told me, he's like, hey, all I said was call me. I didn't say I was going to answer. I'll call you back. And he would always, he'd always thump the word action. He was like, yeah, the word of the day for you is going to be action. And the word of the day tomorrow is always going to be action. But I still did not want to listen to him. I thought he was just some, he's just some crazy old guy who, you know, couldn't, wouldn't be able to help me. He hasn't experienced what I've experienced. And then finally, um, Again, you know, with each relapse, I'm just getting worse and worse. And I finally, finally hit my hit. Well, I had many bottoms, but I hit my first bottom where I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't not do it anymore. I had to, I had to do something. And so I picked up my last white chip on uh, February 15th. And I remember, I never forget the last day that I, you know, my last white chip, I wanted to be under that room. I felt so inferior to everybody, just inferior I thought in a room full of defective people I was the defective like the most effective <laughs> and you know that that was that was that was that was the start um and so I started to listen to him and do what I needed to do to to to, to recover um so we so we started you know we started working the steps but you know I'm I'm not I'm not a, I didn't want to read and I still wanted to do things Gerald's way and then we get I get into it. I'm about three months in the program, and I'm listening to people in people in rooms in recovery, and I'm seeing people that are happy. And I had gotten to the point now where, like, now I'm not drinking anymore, but now I'm I am miserable. I'm madder than I was. Uh, you know, I'm I'm crying at dog food commercials. I'm, you know, I'm like I'm you know the remote the remote's falling out of the um out of out of, out of out of remote control, uh, batteries are falling out. And I'm like, I'm like crying over it. My emotions are all over the place and I can't handle it. I can't handle it. And you know, and then people are like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with me. And I'm, and I'm, and then I'm, and I'm listening to people just say, well, just keep the plug in the jug, just keep the plug in the jug. And I'm like, I'm keeping the plug in the jug, but by keeping the plug in the jug now, all these feelings are just it's just everywhere and I, I can't handle it. I mean, that's why I did it in the first place. That's why I drank and did everything because I didn't want to feel what I want, what I was feeling. I didn't want to be in my skin. So now you've taken the drink away and now I'm, I'm, I'm miserable. I'm worse off than what I was. 
And I remember my sponsor at the time, like my sponsor, he pulled me aside and he's like, and he reminded me, he's like, Gerald, he's like, we're dealing with alcoholism. And, you know, I, I still didn't understand that because he used to always say everything was untreated alcoholism. But he explained it. He's like, well, you know, if you were a normal drinker, I told you you're going to lose everything if you don't stop. A normal person, they're going to they're gonna stop. They're going to they'll, they'll clean up their act. They'll do what they need to do. And, um, you know, life will get good. But for a person that was like me, an alcoholic, you put the drink down and life gets progressively worse to a point where you, you, you know, you won't really want to be here anymore. You'll be so miserable that you're, you're, you'll start thinking pretty crazy. And, you know, he, the way he put it, I was able to understand that because I always, even before I had picked up, I always had the feelings that I had. And so I, he had explained it and I had, you know, through everything that I'd been through, I'd come to experience step one the hard way where I knew I could not drink anymore. But the feelings that I had, I couldn't not. So it was sort of like a, you're screwed if you do, you're even more screwed if you don't. And step one, that, that's step one in a nutshell for me, it was I was powerless over everything. I had always tried to exhort little control and manage, but there, I had no control. I had no control when I picked up and then what I was going to do. But then I couldn't, I had no control when I was not because I was, an, I was just an emotional, I used to say I was an emotional two-year-old. I couldn't handle any emotional responses to life. And he explained, he's like, that's why the steps, he's like, that's why you, you, you have to do the steps because it's going to be designed to do what, for, for me, what alcohol did for me is like it, the steps would, uh, I would get what I needed by doing the steps and I would be able to live. But without that solution, I wouldn't be here right now. I can tell you that um, I would not be here. And so I, like I said, I had to go a lot of, lots of fears I had to walk through and I had to try, I had to trust that I had to trust my life to somebody that, you know, that wasn't me at the time. And then we started talking about, you know, he started talking to me about a higher power and, you know, when it came to higher power, I don't know about most people, but for me, whenever I heard the higher power, God, whatever you want to call it, I just stopped. I was like, nope, that's it. I had grown up a, um, I had grown up a Catholic. So I figured, um, you know, God didn't want to have anything to do with me. And I really didn't want to have anything to do with God. I always thought of God as, uh, you know, people who was, you know, had a God in their life. Those are people who were too weak to, or too afraid to get their own hands dirty. And I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, and I've always been stubborn. I'm not, bending my will to anybody's, you know, I always thought God gave me my will. So if I want to burn my life down or whatever I want, I'll do it. And I, I didn't, I didn't want to, um, I, I didn't, I wouldn't, I didn't want to submit to that or anything like that. And so, you know, my sponsor understandably was like, okay, okay. Well, he's like, that's, that's that. He's like, well, we, okay. And he reminded me, he's like, you know, you're, you're dealing with something that you can't see taste well you know see feel taste you know you can feel it with your um you know with your feelings but maybe you need something else that you may not necessarily be able to see touch taste 
And then we started talking about it. And he's like, well, you know, if you could have any sort of higher power, what would it be? What would you, you could pick your own, you know, pick your own higher power. How you could be a doorknob. It could be a coffee cup. What, what would it be to you? And at the time, you know, the only thing that I had in my life that I had actually cared about was my kids, you know? And so he's like, okay. And so later on, um, you know, I'm fast forwarding. I, I had, a, I had, I did everything you, you shouldn't do in recovery, but, um, you know, fast forward a little bit. Of, I mean, I'm about a year in, I'm still doing the steps. I'm still working on every doing, doing everything. And I have my kids back in my life. You know, it's the first time I'm seeing them in six months cause they had gotten taken away. So I'm getting them back in my life and I'm looking at them and, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, I'm watching them and it's like, you know, I'm, and it's like, there's nothing I wouldn't do to them for them. You know, I love my kids more than anything in this world. There's, you know, a parent's love. And, you know, as I'm watching them, I can hear my higher power. I hear this voice, you know, it's just kind of soft, you know. It just reminds me, you know, the same way that you look at those kids is the same way I look at you. I'm always going to have your back. And it doesn't matter what you've done, what you said, what you've done. I'm always here. Just like any parent would be for a child. And I knew that and I knew that at that moment that was my higher power talking to me. And in a way I could understand. And, you know, that I, I remember crying. I just I lost it. And after that, you know, I think that's really when my journey began. I started working, you know, doing the steps. I got I, I listened to my sponsor. I called him every day. Every day at one o'clock. He used to be able to tune his watch by the time I called. I called him every day at one o'clock for two years. Um, I went to meetings. I did things that I didn't necessarily want to do. In fact, I didn't want to do any of it, but I knew that I had, I knew, I knew that if I was going to get better, I have any sort of life, I had to do this. And so I did. And, you know, bit by bit, you know, life, I started, and life started to happen. I was able to be present in it. And I mean, I'm glossing over it. I don't, I don't have a lot of time, but I've been through everything that a person can go through in recovery. Um, you know, that they, they tell you in recovery, don't try to date anybody in the first year or be involved with anybody. Try to do that. It was a nuclear bomb. So anyone who's listening that's in recovery and thinking, oh, you can have a relationship. Don't trust me. Don't do it. Um, you know, I went, I went through, I went through a period where I was homeless Spent 73 days in my car. Um, just, you know, this when I hit, was going through my bankruptcy. And you know what? I ended up, my, my sponsor's suggestion was that was to do 90 and 90. And I'm like, how is that going to work when I need money? Uh, I can tell you at the end of that, doing the 90, 90 meetings in 90 days, because I'd never did it before. I ended up, um, I ended up getting back on my feet. I ended up in an apartment. To this day, still don't know how I did it. Um, went through bankruptcy, all sorts of stuff. Um, got it, went through it, went through a very nasty divorce. Um, and I didn't have to drink. I didn't, I didn't, not once did I say, oh, I can't handle this. I'm not, I'm not going to be able to go through this. I was able to walk through everything. I mean, literally everything. And, you know, fast forwarding now to today, you know, today I'm, you know, I'm, I'm remarried. I have a family. And it, I never would have, um, I never would have thought I would have had some of the little things like this. I have a job. And more importantly today, I can look in the mirror 
before I could never look in the mirror because I used to look in the mirror and I used to hate the person staring back at me. I can look in the mirror today and I'm okay with the person staring back. And even more than that now today, also, I'm comfortable in my own skin. I've learned to love who I am and, you know, be accepting. Um, and, you know, my life today is pretty much, I built my life basically on, on the steps, the principles I've learned in program, things that my sponsor has taught me. You know, I'm, I've learned how to be, he taught me how to be a man. I didn't know what a man was. I grew up, you know, and growing up the way I grew up, you know, it used to be, you know, it was this macho thing. He, you know, it's, he taught me it's okay to have feelings. You know, it's okay to trust what you believe, you know, tr tr uh, do the right thing. You know, that's what a real, what a real man does. And he taught me how to be a real man, um, taught me honor and respect. I call my sponsor serve, not because he's like, he's a, he's drill sergeant on me. I taught, I say that because he taught me what it was to be a man. And I learned what it means to honor, you know, to have honor. And I have that today. And I just want to say this to the newcomer or anybody listening, you know, what you get from this program, you cannot put a price tag on it. I mean, this, I came in here thinking, oh, I'm going to just not drink and and but it, it it's so much more. I always wondered how a person, you know, I used to wonder how a person would go through their life getting power or getting status. And it's like, no, you you get it through, you know, doing the actions and the next right thing in love. You know, I always thought I wanted power. But in the end, I just wanted love because power takes but love gives. And more than anything, you know, this program's taught me how to love. And I'm I'm so grateful. And so if you're listening to this you know, if you, you know, the one, you know, the sick and suffering, you don't have to feel the way that you feel. And there's a place that there are people that, you know, AA is like the mob. Anywhere you go, you have family and you have family everywhere because there's meetings everywhere. So, you know, it, you don't have to feel like this. And, you know, it, it, it work. It does truly work if you, if you work it, but then it's also about action because the program isn't not for people who want it or need it. It's for people who do it. And I'll end with this. It's, a, it's um, one of the things that I realize I'm a movie guy. So that's how I, you know, I, I, I relate everything to, um, you know, I came in here, I came in and anyone who, anybody, any eighties guys out there who likes the karate kid, you know, this kid's getting bullied. He wants to he wants to learn to defend himself. He meets a teacher who tells him he's going to teach him. And then he he and he says, "Okay, he promises to teach him. He gives him a sponge. Has him cleaning his cars, he's sanding stuff. And he's like, "How he's like he hasn't taught he's not teaching me anything." And he gets frustrated. And the guy calls him over and he's like, "Okay, he's like, "Show me sand the floor." And he throws a punch at him. He shows me wax on, wax off. He does a kick. And then he just starts going ham, going all these punches and kicks. I mean, it, the, for me, that's how I thought pro, that's how program was when I first got in. I get with a sponsor who's going to teach me how to not drink and be able to live in my own skin by doing things that I don't agree with. And I, I still don't see how it does it. And then life comes my way. And I, I realized that my sponsor inadvertently taught me without really even knowing he was teaching me. And today, no matter what life throws at me, there's always a defense. So. That's, you know, a little metaphor. So I want to thank you guys for letting me, letting me come out and talk. Thank you. I appreciate it, brother. Thank you, Gerald. Um, there's, it's funny. 
It's funny how many times that you, uh, in program, you might be sitting in a room, I don't know, like we, uh, we go to meetings in the same town and we've probably sat in the same room uh, maybe about a hundred times and, and you don't have an opportunity to actually uh, hear somebody's story even though, you know, we both share at meetings. Uh, you know, I see you with a Patriots jacket or sweatshirt and I figure you're probably from Massachusetts. I grew up just south of Boston myself in Weymouth, Mass. And uh, getting sober in, uh, I got sober in Vermont, but going to meetings the last three years since being uh, around the Orlando area, when you were talking about hiding some of uh, your Boston accent, it's like, I did that too. But there was a strange time where I actually turned it up when I was still drinking because I wanted an identity and being somebody else so that way it wasn't just Mike the alcoholic asshole it was Mike from Boston who likes to drink you know and that was the, that was the different thing um i i heard a lot of my first sponsor in your sponsor that said action 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 and to make sure to call every day and uh, he said the exact same phrase of, yep, yep, call every day. I didn't say I'd pick up. Sometimes I won't even return the call. But I promise, even if the message is, because I would always leave a voicemail, a two-minute voicemail. He said, just leave a voicemail. And he would never respond to the voicemail. Like, I would, I would see him the next day at a meeting, and he wouldn't even necessarily, unless there was a problem, you know, it was just like, yeah, Dave, everything's going good. This happened. And he'd say, like, just let me know what's up with you, like what you're doing and, and what uh, he wouldn't say what step you're on, but essentially like the work that you're putting in. And I would make sure to do that. Um, it's just being held accountable, you know, because the Mr. Miyagi that you were talking about, it is like a whole new way of life. And it's it's the promise in the promises isn't that this stuff's going to go away. It's that you're going to be able to find a way to deal with anything that gets tossed your way. So the, the divorce that you were talking about, you know, you didn't probably know that a lot of this stuff was going to come up, that you were going to have to go through this. But now, what is it? Uh, six years later, you have these miracles that have happened in your life and a God, I grew up Catholic as well, where I thought that the God that you were speaking of, the same God that I had. And now we have a God that's probably beyond our wildest dreams that we never thought, never thought that I knew for me, I never thought I was worth having this in my life. And the promises and some of the work that you're talking about putting in, before we started recording, there was uh, a friend of ours that actually just a, a couple weeks ago, Mark, told his story about he showed us a picture from back in the 70s when he was, um, you know, at his uh, surf shop and some friends in the picture that he tried to get sober when he got sober in the 80s and it just didn't work. And he said the reason it didn't work is because they didn't put the work in. So anything that you want out of life, if you put the work in, um, I found it, it does come true. So thank you for, uh, for showcasing that. Uh, James, you want to, want to go next identifying? 
Yeah, thanks, Mike. Thanks, Gerald. That was the first time I heard your story, actually. I've known you about two and a half years. And, and I, I believe it or not, I did not know you were from Boston. You you hide your... Actually, I've been uh, told that... Um, so friends you guys are. Indeed. Indeed. I've heard that Boston doesn't really have an accent. It's just a, a bunch of people that don't really talk very well. <laughs> so I can understand you both wanting to cover that up. <laughs> no, no. I, That's horrible. Someone told me that. I, I don't have any opinion on it whatsoever. But, <laughs> but <laughs> Anyways, it was really good. I identified a lot with your story. Um, I identified when you talked about you know that first sip feeling, that first drink and... You know, just everything was okay. You know, I could talk to people. I could be, um, I could be myself or what I thought was myself. Um, you know, I have children too, and they saw a lot of um, the bad dad. You know, I you said that you know, you know, no to your children because you had to drink. I did that a lot. I would I would used to stop at the liquor store and keep my two young children in the car while I went in and got the liquor and I told them it was daddy's cough syrup and um after a while they pretty much knew what that meant like no daddy please don't get that today I'm sorry daddy's got a drink today um when I came into the rooms I I picked up many white chips too a lot of relapses because uh, you had said you did it your way I totally totally know what you were talking about i did it my way for far too long um i remember seeing um happy people you'd mentioned that you saw everyone cheerful and and you know you wanted that but you didn't know how to get it because you were doing it your way I, same thing like people would go out on fishing trips and stuff when i was early in recovery and i was like why won't they invite me it's because i kept relapsing <laughs> they didn't want me around um and then when I finally got that higher power, um, I really liked when you talked about when you, you got that message from your higher power that it's, it, it, it changes you, you know? It, I, for me, it's the same thing. Like, you can't really go back on that. You're just like, whoa, okay, that's what it's about. And, the, like, the, the light flip is switched on, and it's just like, why would you go back now that you know the truth? I, I totally get that. I love hearing about people's spiritual experiences. Because that's what it took for me, and and then you 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 learn to trust. You know, you learn to trust your sponsor. You learn to trust your higher power. And um, you know, I love the the ending for you. You've got you, your life is good. You've got a, a new baby on the way. Congratulations. Um, you know, you've got a job. You've got trust, and I feel the same way these days. I've got friends I can rely on. I've got a job. Uh, I have integrity, and uh, most of all, I've got a higher power in my life that that I, I give my will over to on a daily basis. Thanks again, Gerald. Awesome. I just want to say thank you, Gerald, for joining us. I know you rearrange your schedule to be here, and we all really appreciate that. You know, I know you're a busy man. Um, <laughs> that wasn't a joke. I was sincere, guys. Come on. Um yeah, I think uh, early on you mentioned the, the living the double life thing. And I, and I can definitely relate to that in the sense that, you know, I grew up as, you know, in a house. I was a triplet and we had an older sister. So I had four siblings and there was... You're a triplet? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, 
and I, I can, you know, it, at a young age, I, I kind of had this idea of, of almost an identity crisis. Like, who am I? Where do I fit in here? You know what I'm saying? And then, you know, I, I, I stereotypically identified like what my siblings did and stuff like that. But where do I fit in in here? And you kind of get this identity crisis or whatever. And where I found it, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, I found it in that, like, the drugs and alcohol helped me deal with that and, and the, the crew that I ran with and stuff like that, where I felt accepted in, in, in whatever. Um, but then that caused, like, this kind of double life, you know, like when I'm out and partying or whatever, I could be one person. But then at home, you always have to put up this thing. And in a sense, you kind of lose yourself in that, which, you know, causes a lot of problems like, uh, you know, you, you kind of like lose who you are. So you, you're, you're, you know, true purpose and your true spirit and your true soul gets lost in this mess. And then, you know, you drink more, you do more, and then eventually that all falls apart. You know, it really doesn't matter who you are. Eventually it all falls apart. And then we, you know, we, we come to that realization that like the way we were living our lives doesn't work. So we come into AA or seek help in some way or another. And we still don't know who we are. We're still that kid that's still trying to find their place in the world, still putting on masks to try to fit into wherever we can fit in. And then AA tells us that we got to come in, we got to be open and honest about it. And then through that process of doing the steps and doing everything, we learn to find ourselves you know we that little boy who's scared of everything like you said kind of learns to become a man or a woman or whatever and learns how to live a different way in a different life to where we can be comfortable in our skin and you know at the end you mentioned you learned how to love and stuff and you learned how to love yourself and be loved and, and all of that stuff and I think that is a big like miracle almost when you can finally like walk into the bathroom and look in yourself in the mirror and say, I love you, you know, like that's, that's a major psychological change, you know, where most of our lives, we didn't love ourselves. We didn't accept ourselves. We beat ourselves up. We treated ourselves worse than we treated other people and stuff. And then obviously that causes all the problems that we have. And uh, so I think your story is, is truly inspiring. It really is. I think you have a lot of points in your story that I can relate to and I think other people relate to. So again, thank you very much for joining us. Awesome. Thank you guys and thank you, Gerald, for uh, sharing your story. We appreciate it more than we can even put into words. We'll be back next Thursday sharing our experience, strength, and hope with you on the topic of service work on episode 26. With the defective characters, entirely ready to have all these character defects removed. Remember, sobriety is a journey, not a destination. And we'll see you next time.